0: that's how you do it all right welcome back to Thunder talk everybody i'm tyler freel and this is a uh a desperate times call for desperate measures and this is a, uh, a solo quarantine episode of Thunder talk um I do apologize for kind of dropping off the radar for a while. It's been kind of a, as far as the podcast goes, kind of a pain in the ass lately um, since the whole the whole coronavirus thing um, we're, you know, me and the boys and everybody else are kind of trying to do our best to avoid each other, you know, close contact, and so we haven't been recording anything in person. And then uh, as an added kick in the nuts, my internet's been horribly slow. I can't get regular internet service where I'm at. And uh, so I have to go off cell signal. And I think a combination, I heard that they were changing some parts out on the tower, some BS. Um, so the speeds were slow, temporarily slower. And then with everyone home watching tigers, trying to stream tiger King on their phones and, and devices, it's really eaten up a lot of the speeds. And so, I mean, it's taking like 10 minutes to send a cell phone picture so, uh, recording remotely has been kind of, uh, kind of an impossibility lately, but it does seem in the past couple of days that stuff's picked up. So I'm going to try to get, at least get some, some remote episodes out for you to listen to and, uh, and, um, uh, obviously hope that everyone's hanging in there. All right. With this whole, this whole inconvenience, you know, I mean, a lot of us, including myself have it pretty damn good. Um, you know, some of us aren't terribly financially affected right now but uh it's gonna affect everybody sooner or later there certainly are a lot of people out there that are kind of hurting right now so uh yeah you know keep in touch with your friends and make sure you know everyone everyone gets things they need has plenty of food to eat and you know if they need help with something you know definitely don't be afraid to reach out and help and help your friends out and we'll get through this eventually and and hopefully get rolling back to normal but anyway um being all cooped up here, I, uh, I mean, I've just been working on, it seems like I've been staying busier than I normally am. I, I've been working on a couple of projects. I put together, uh, one of those kit muzzle loaders, which, which was, uh, is a lot more fun than I thought it was. They're super easy to put together and a heck of a lot of fun to shot, to shoot. So as if I needed another hobby now, now I got this to deal with. Um, uh, so done that, done a bunch of reloading, you know, fortunately, I kind of, I'm pretty well stocked up on, backed up on supplies to, to do a lot of the, the projects and honeydew lists, stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, hopefully everyone's maintaining their sanity. Um, anyway, but I thought I would do a, uh, a few days ago, put out, put out, you know, a thing saying I was going to do a Q and a Q&A episode, which I think, you know, you know, there's not much of a better opportunity to, and got a lot of good questions. So, you know, without too much getting too much further in the weeds. I'll just uh, dive right into these questions. Got a couple pages, and hopefully uh, answer them, answer them to to your satisfaction. And if you don't, you can just give me some shit anyway. Um, well, jumping right in it, and it is obviously uh, obviously bear baiting season or getting. Well, it's technically the bear baiting season is technically open, although up here in the interior, the, the weather finally just tipped over, and it's not. I would say there's not really much point in putting out a bear bait till May anyway. Um, but irregardless, uh, so some of the, a lot of the questions have to do with bear baiting and then obviously, you know, sheep hunting and some other random stuff and had to try to, had to weed out some of the questions that were, just, that were just facetious, uh, and, uh, you know, whatever, but it's, it's all good anyway. Um, all right. So the first question, uh, what are some less obvious do's and don'ts when it comes to bear baiting? Um, less obvious, I guess how, how obvious they are kind of depends on your, depends on your perspective and area. Um, probably, uh, probably the biggest, the biggest thing to do is have, you know, have a good, a good attractant, like a good lure scent, call scent, if you want to call it that, whether it's a stink bait or just some very powerful scent to, to, to draw more bears in and draw them from farther cuz you know if you just go and dump your food, your bait stuff out then uh, you know a bear may very well find it especially if you're in, your area, in an area with a lot of bears but it's not going to be nearly as effective as if you can you can call bears from a long ways away and they can smell your bait from from a mile or two or three or four um, it's going to be much more effective so you you want to have a good call scent and then your 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 actual food, your bait And what that is, I don't get too hung up on that. You know, I tend to use a lot of dog food and a lot of people do. If you have access to, you know, old bread and pastries, stuff like that, that stuff works too. It just got to be something that they, they like to eat. I don't think bears are, bears aren't super, super particular in the springtime. Um, Black bears don't seem to like rotten stuff in my experience or, you know, old, like butchered scraps and, and nasty stuff. They, they would much prefer, you know, either sweet stuff or dog food, uh, fairly fresh food. But, uh, so yeah, have your, have a good, you know, a good call lure, a good bait, good bait. What I would not do is, uh, is, is a, don't bother putting your bait out too early. You know, some people, if you're in, in an area where bears are already up moving around and starting to feed a little bit, that could differ. But around here, you know, I wouldn't, I I would not bother putting my bait out super early. I put it out in April before, but that's just kind of because rivers opened up and I was able to get it out there and get it taken care of. And that's fine too. But I wouldn't, I would not expect any action till you get into May. Um, I don't think I've, I don't think I've ever had in, even the, the times I put baits out in April, I don't think I've ever had any action in April. And usually it's like around the 20th of May that bears start, start showing up. And even then they're not really eating much. They may come in and take a few bites, spend a few minutes there and then leave, but they haven't really like got their digestive system working from being in hibernation. Um, so I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't bother if you don't need to putting it out too early. You're not really getting, gaining an advantage unless you're in an area where you could have to like stake out your bait sites. Um, And one thing I wouldn't do also is check, check your bait too frequently. That seems to be a real common mistake, especially with local baits or, or, or um, folks may not be as experienced. Um, You'll see people, you know, checking them every other day or something like that. You know, when I, when I put out a bait, even my, baits that are that are well established i'll put the bait i'll load it up and usually not come back for at least a week um and sometimes they still don't get hit for a couple of weeks depending on on what the bears are doing and how everything timing wise is lining up you know the, my most my my longest running bait will usually have bears on it within a week but if i if i put it out before the 10th of may But yeah, that can have some give or take. I think last year it took two and a half weeks or three weeks to get a bear on it. And then, and then they kicked into gear and we're going. So let it, let it set, especially if it's a new bait. um, I probably wouldn't even check it for two weeks, maybe three. Um, But checking it too frequently is only going to disturb stuff. It's not. It's not going to help you at all. And especially even after you have bears, unless you're actively hunting, the more time you spend on a bait, the more the more your excess scent's getting around, and um, and the more the the more negatively it's going to affect that bait site. You know, once you you get bears and you start hunting either go in to rebate, do your business and leave. You don't want to spend more time there or be in there more often than you, ha- than you have to only if you need to rebate or you're going to hunt, I would say, um, some, uh, the, you can, you could go back and forth on the scent thing. Um, I try to keep it fairly clean. One thing I will do is I'll leave, I'll leave, um, ther- a couple thermocell pads. I'll just tack them to the tree that my tree stands on so that so that the bears will get used to the to the thermosol pads and it is arguable that like so I know some guys swear by leaving an old like dirty work shirt with your scent on it like tie it to your tree stand or something so there so you have a fairly powerful so your scent is there and fairly powerful all the time so the bears you know even their very first time coming in will get will get accustomed to that scent and then you don't have to worry about it so much so much when you when you come back hunting and uh and i think there's something to that i know guys you know spray bug dope when especially before thermocells uh and you had to head net up and use a ton of bug dope um spray spray your bug dope on the tree and they get used to having that scent around um i do you know i i can't say what the best what the best method is um i try to be a little cleaner and then a little cleaner, especially with grizzly bears on bait. Where I'm at, if they smell you, they won't the they won't come back. You know, I haven't I haven't tested exclusively enough with leaving, or I haven't tested enough. You know, trying to leave my scent there and keep it very powerful, um, and see how grizzlies react to that. If then they are less spooky when they smell me, me when they're in the tree stand. But as of now, um, and that would you know that would take. A significant significant amount of time to kind of iron out, um, with uh, with the way it is now. I if they smell me at all, I and I think they can typically tell. Unless you got some powerful stank that you're leaving there all the time, those bears can typically tell the difference between something your scent left on something you've left there and you being there and catching your wind your wind as you were there. I think I think that's a big difference. Um, I mean, I've had, I've had two or three instances of grizzly bears spooking and just turning around and walking off just by cutting my tracks where I've walked to my trail camera. That's happened two or three times to me. Um, so I just try to be clean, hunt the wind. And I use those, those Ozonics, which I'll probably get into that a little bit later. Um, how do you prepare for, for to take a shot when archery hunting black bears or hunting bears on bait stands? Do you also hold your bow in preparation or have a certain setup? Uh, I typically hold my bow. Um, I've got I've got a bow hanger and and sometimes that's a really good option. Uh, black bears you'll typically you typically won't hear them coming at least where I'm at. You know if they have good trails they come in real quiet or a lot quieter than grizzly bears. So, but still, you know, I mean, depending on your setup, if you can see him coming for a while, um, you can usually grab your bow if it's on a hanger. Um, I would I would definitely leave an arrow knocked, but, uh, and also if you, you know, even if black bears just sometimes they'll just show up out of nowhere. If you let them, typically if you let them settle down and start eating, you can get away with some move, movement when they're not paying attention. Um, as far as grizzly bears go, most of the time I can hear them coming in and get and I like with them they're they're so much more cagey at least in my experience and they they just they're on pins and needles most of the time and and my my theory is to take the very first good shot they give you and because I've had several of them do basically walkthroughs where they they come in and you know they may offer a shot for a little bit but you know your average where your average black bear will come in you know, especially a dominant one, they'll come in, you know, they may be a little spooky or cagey for a little bit, but then they'll start settling down and relaxing and changing positions. And you can usually, you can usually get a really good shot opportunity that that's just perfect for you. But the grizzly bears, you probably better take the first good one they give you. And, uh, so I, I will typically sit with my, you know, just because my hanger, I'm afraid of my, my arrow falling off the rest when I'm. Goofing with it, or when when my when my string my recurve's hanging on that on that hanger, it pinches between the string and limb, and sometimes it's kind of a pain. I gotta lean over and try to put tension on the string to get it off. And a lot of times when I'm by myself as well, I don't use a hanger because there um, I have a camera on a tree arm that's right to my left. That first thing I do when I I know there's a bear coming is I'll reach over and turn the camera on and hit record. Um, and then leave that alone so I typically just sit with my bow on my lap and uh and as soon as 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 soon as a grizzly bear especially but a lot of times a blackbird too um, comes in that I know I want to shoot I'll I'll prepare myself and get ready to where it's minimal movement all I have to do to shoot is raise the bow and draw you know is pick the bow up a little bit and draw you know I'll kind of be in a in a fairly relaxed maintainable like ready position and that's getting a little you know i may be overthinking it a little bit it's not that critical just uh like any other hunting you know pay attention to what the animal's doing and what the animal's looking at and try to minimize your movement and uh and you should be just fine now uh another question proper kind of a secondary to that is proper shot placement spine or always lungs um i would say always lungs you know or heart but I always go for that, I do always go for that double lung shot every time. You know, if you're, if you're shooting them with a rifle, you know, back when I was doing that, using a rifle on baits, a lot of several black bears I shot and, you know, in the neck, broke their neck, you know, just kind of right back down behind the skull. But I don't know, hindsight, that probably isn't, that isn't the most forgiving or best method. I definitely would not shoot, try to shoot them in the spine with a bow. I actually, one black bear I shot last year turned into a goat rope, um, he came in, sat down, and he, especially with black bears, like, they're going to give you a good shot. And this bear sat down broadside, and it's close, and, you know, I don't know what happened with her because it was getting, it was fairly dark, or I, I just, or I'd been shooting the, long, the slower longbow that had a different trajectory. I don't know. But I finally, I thought, I just said, I was telling myself to let the, you know, wait for him to stand up and shoot him. And, uh, finally I said, ah, you know, cause in my yard, I can make that shot 99 times out of a hundred or more. I mean, just smoke, just 10 ring them. But, uh, for some reason I shot high and I just saw the, the veins like disappear in black hair high. And he spun his butt around towards me, looking back in the woods, the direction, you know, that the arrow was stuck in the ground. And I thought, I thought, shit, he doesn't know he's not hit or he doesn't know he's hit. I thought it went under the spine and, uh, so, you know, naturally you got hindsight, it, it just barely nicked the skin and went through the hair, but I didn't know that. So I'm thinking I got to get another arrow in this thing. And I knocked another arrow and real quick, just visualized where I thought I needed to hit, to to make it come out the middle of his chest. Cause he's sitting facing directly away from me. And, uh, I hit him right there and it hit the spine just, you know, in hindsight, um, I think even if the broadhead had been rotated 90 degrees, it would have it would have either blown through or slipped around his spine. But it hit him so perfectly, like perpendicular to that vertebrae, right in the middle of a vertebrae, and uh, it just stopped that arrow. And I don't know, the only thing I can think of, because those are, are penetrating sons of guns, the only thing I can think of is that spine has enough flex and give to absorb the impact because um, I've seen those, you know, those, single bevel cutthroats blow through leg bones and all sort of all sort of shit like it's not even there so i just think that that spine had enough flex to stop that anyway um his legs went out from under him and he uh, and he got off in the brush and i had to i had to grab my rifle and run him down and, and finish finish the job and it wasn't pretty so no long story short i would always long shoot him um and just be very aware of the angle they're standing at. Because I got fooled last year on my grizzly bear. I thought he was way more broadside than he was when I shot him. And, and you know, we recovered him. It was a lethal shot, but it, it could have been much more ideal. And the lungs, you know, obviously heart lungs is the biggest target, you know, the biggest vital organ to hit. And the most effective, if you punch a bear through both lungs with a with a good broadhead, like they, they will not go 100 yards typically. And usually like between 40 and 60 Let's see, do you wear certain gear or prepare scent-wise to remain undetected? And this kind of gets back into that. I've tried some of the uh, some of the scent sprays. I mean, so much of this stuff you try, you don't, you never get any kind of clear answer whether or not they work, um, especially when you're using them in combinations. I mean, it's not exactly a controlled study most of the time. Um, and so anyway, lo- I mean, for the most part, I don't, I don't get too hung up on scent I don't get too hung up on on my clothes or anything like that sometimes I I will a lot of times carry a uh a spray bottle with the scent eliminator stuff to spray on my boots uh on my boots because a couple baits you know especially with the grizzlies I've had them come in fairly unpredictably and sometimes they'll cut they'll cut the trail that I walk in on and then you know if they smell you there they're they're leaving the gigs up you're not gonna you're 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 shit out of luck, and they're probably not coming back, um, or not coming back for. A few. I have some had some come back a few days later if they just cut tracks, but I've never had one come back after they smelled me while I was there. Um, the biggest thing I use, and I mentioned it before, is those those Ozonics machines. Um, They're about the gimme, and I, I've talked about them before on the podcast, but they're about the most gimmicky sounding thing you could ever ever think of but they they really do work they they work well um there's not a lot of things that I'm absolutely convinced make the difference but I've had several several grizzly bears come in directly downwind and after seeing how spook I've had a lot more of them you know smell me in the past and spook um I've had them come in downwind sniffing trying to smell you smell you can tell they smell the ozone or something doesn't but they don't recognize what it is as danger. Um, have had a, have had a wolf come in and hang out directly downwind. Um, it's just worked too many times for me to ignore. Um, one thing they are kind of loud when they're above your head, those Ozonics sound like a freight train above your head. It's, it's pretty annoying can make it kind of tough to hear other sounds. One thing, uh, that I like to do and kind of had stole it from someone I can't remember who had, I heard was doing this but turning them upside down because they have a little fan that sucks air in the bottom runs it over these coils to generate the ozone and pumps it out the front but if you turn it upside down it's pulling air down and that fan that fan noise is directed a little bit up instead of down towards your head the fan noise I haven't noticed I haven't noticed uh effect in the bear behavior at all myself. Uh, I had a lot of bears come in when it's running and they don't, they don't seem to even notice it. You know, I don't know if it's, you know, cause they hear airplanes and, and faint, you know, far away noises. And it really, when you're on the ground, you can't even hear it in the tree with, with our ears anyway. Um, so that, I mean, that's the biggest thing I use. And if, and, and you can get away without them. Well, obviously you can get away without them. People have been doing it for decades, but, uh, it doesn't seem to make as big a difference for black bears, but but the grizzly bears, uh, it really does. Especially because the opportunities usually, for at least where I'm at, are pretty few and far between. You may get one. You may even with Ozonics, I may get one or two, one or two shot opportunities in a whole season. So you know, I'm trying to make it count. Um, what are some considerations you have when setting up a bait? Um, you could probably do a whole podcast on that. And and I know I've talked about a lot of that stuff in previous podcasts, but uh, you know, the biggest things are you want, you want to be in an area where bears are or, and are, will be moving through frequently. Um, You know, a lot of folks like on the, on the rivers and including myself, those rivers and waterways are definite are movement corridors for those animals. You know, when they're, whether they're traveling or traveling to, to and from places or looking for food, um, that it seems like a lot, you know, all the, all the game is, is kind of centralized around the rivers most of the time. Um, you know, you, you want you also want to know the prevailing wind in the area so you can kind of plan. That's a big deal, you know, cause if, if, if you don't want a bait station kind of on the edge of a good area or in an area where, where bears are going to be traveling by, but the scent's going to be blowing to an area where they're not. Um, you know, that can be, you know, if you have your bait right on the edge of a river, you know, a hundred yards off a river, but the prevailing, the prevailing wind is blowing to the river. Well, most of the time your, your bait scent's going to be getting blown to the river and, and chances of, chances are much better of of getting bears on if it's blowing off the river and getting a lot of those bears that are traveling back in the woods. Um, you know, there's some, a, a bait site my dad has that's, uh, that it's it's a super slow bait site most of the time because the you know and well and this is something to consider as well. It's a super slow bait site because most of the time the wind is blowing towards the river. But if you get four you know two, three, four days of it blowing off the river, he always gets huge bears on there. So, you know, you you know, it's kind of six one half a dozen of the other. Um, It can be an advantage because if the, if the prevailing wind is towards the river, most of the time you, the prevailing wind is good for hunting. Um, So you just know the, know, you know, a little bit about the general, like right around where you're setting up or thinking about setting up and consider the prevailing wind and where you can, you know, whether your tree stand, ground blind, whatever, where you're planning on hunting from, you know, you want to, you want to set your tree stands or configure your, your whole setup so that, so that you can hunt most of the time, you know, that, that, that prevailing wind is going to ideally is going to be going towards bears and bringing bears in, but that you can have your stand or your setup in a spot where, in a spot that's not going to be letting all these bears win you when they're coming in. Um, if you're wanting to rifle hunt on a bait, man, I would, I would do everything I could to, to back up as far as I could get away from it, you know, even to a hundred or, at yeah, 200 is a little far, but if you can get 100 yards away from your bait, you're going to see more bears on your bait. They're just they're just some bears that that will not show up when you're there, and and it's just kind of a sixth sense, or they smell you, hear you, or they're just laying there the whole time waiting for you to leave, and you don't. Um, that those are those are probably the biggest things to consider when when setting up a bait. Let's see, what's the ideal animal for your first hunt in Alaska? That's kind of a tough one. It depend. I mean, I don't. It, it depends. Depends a lot on, on a person. You know, a person's background, resources, and what you like to hunt. Probably the like easiest for success hunt. You know, for your first animal, Alaska is going to be a, a blacktail. You don't need a guide. There's typically a lot of deer, and there's plenty of uh, whether it's Kodiak or, or Prince William Sound or some other places. You know, there are some quite a few resources around that are that are available for um getting you to these deer it's not you know not usually you don't usually have to find your your secret honey hole like you may have to with some other animals um when populations are good especially there's a lot of deer running around everywhere and they're they're the easy you know they're going to be the easiest animals to handle on handle and get the meat and trophy back home with the least amount of hassle so that's probably what that's probably what i would say Let's see. I think this was a facetious one, but it included anywhere underwear, black camo, or commando to save weight. And it's I think it's kind of talking about a sheep on sheep hunting. Um, the one the one comment I would have about underwear is you uh, and it's this is uh, varies from person to person too. Um, I kind of like those little tidy spandex spandex underwear without getting too much information because they uh they don't seem to chafe you know you don't want cotton um they don't seem to chafe they dry out quick they don't stink and uh or don't stink as bad that stinks a relative term on a sheep hunt but uh and and they uh let's see losing my train of thought and they're, they're very lightweight too. Um, so yeah, no, you know, whatever is the most comfortable for you can, you know, without chafing or getting soaked and getting swamp crotch, you know, you don't, you definitely don't want any of that. So something that doesn't hold water and dries out quick. Um, I haven't tried going cheap on commando, but I'm sure it would probably, probably be all right. All right. What resources do you use when researching and preparing for a hunt in a spot you've never been to? Uh, kind of, I don't know if there's a lot of particular ones, you know, I'll, I'll, the biggest thing is trying to find someone I trust who does have some experience in that area. And that, you know, you know, firsthand experience when you can get it is, is good. And, uh, and a lot of people are, are much more willing to, to, to help you out or give you valid information if you, you bring the idea to them. It's not a matter of like. Hey, well, you know, where are some areas I can go sheep hunting or something like that? But if you, if you, you know, you, you go to people that you think are in the know or, or do know and say, Hey, I was thinking about going here. You have specific questions. People are more willing to help you out because they, uh, you know, they know that you, you are like actually putting in the work and you're not just looking for a handout. Um, but you know, like, and I, I say it all the time, but like the fish and game offices typically like. You know, can give you some valid information on specific specific areas that you that you might may or may not have questions on. Whether that's you know populations or habitats, or you can look up harvest data in a lot of cases, um, just to see what's been coming out of certain areas. And it kind of it depends on the angle of the question you're you're looking at too. Like access, you know, access may be a different question than what game populations. Uh, maybe for a different, a different, a different resource than game. Than you would ask for game populations or how the hunting actually is. So, um, you know, I probably the the thing I wouldn't do is 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 ask on a forum or Facebook or anything like that because you're going to get ninety percent bad information um, for every every one. You know, nine nine bad tips for every one good one you get see. All right. I kind of hit on this earlier a little bit, but how is bear shot placement different than ungulates and uh, tips for field dressing and butchering? Um, and the rule of thumb with bears is that their vitals, you know, their lungs sit farther back in relation to their front shoulder than, than an ungulate, a, a deer, elk, moose, um, sheep, anything like that. Um, and it's, you know, probably it's just how they're built in the, the structure their, the structure of their front legs if you, uh, you know, the rule of thumb for shooting, shooting a bear, you know, and yeah, this is an old, an old one. It does seem to ring true. Um, a perfectly broadside bear shoot them for the middle of the middle. That's, uh, front to back, you know, between the front of the hips and the back of the shoulder right in the middle, horizontally and vertically halfway between the, the belly and the back. Um, And if you, you shoot them right there, you'll typically, it's, it's a little farther back in the lungs, but you will usually catch the biggest part of the lungs. Um, if you just shoot them right through the middle and sometimes, I mean, I've seen, seen shots on bears, bow shots on, on bears that, that looked like they were way too far back on a deer, they would be in the guts for sure, but end up catching, you know, like the back of the lungs and the diaphragm on, uh, and, and it's a dead bear really quick and uh so just keep that in mind, and one thing especially if the if the bear's quartering away at all, you don't want you don't wanna put it right up against the that that front shoulder or the back of the front shoulder right in the pocket, so to say like like you might want to on on an ungulate, because a lot of times you will just get one lung and i've I've seen a couple of bears shot like this where they're they're turned a little bit or turned quartering away a little bit or their front legs forward a little bit farther. Um, farther than it, you know, they're, they're kind of have it positioned forward and someone shoots them right on the back edge of that front leg, thinks it's a perfect, perfect shot and it doesn't kill the bear right or right away. Anyway, in our case, we ran it up a tree, the last one I can think of, but, uh, yeah, not a dead bear. So, um, on a quartering away shot, you know, you want, you want to focus on having that arrow come out, come out right on the opposite front leg or just behind it. And it, it all depends on the angle too. You know, you can get away with a lot on those bears and those hard, a hard quartering away shot is one of the very most deadly. Even if you, um, you know, you shoot them behind the ribs or catch the front of the hind quarter. If they're, if they're steeply quartering away, you're going to get everything. You're going to get the liver diaphragm, both lungs and, and the heart. If it's low enough, um, so, yeah, I mean that's definitely just something to keep in mind. And there's plenty of diagrams out there on where their lungs sit and the biggest biggest key for for a good shot on a on a bear or any animal is knowing where all that stuff sits and practicing visualizing at whatever angle where they are and then, you know, drawing a line right through the middle of them and that's where, you know, the imaginary line right through the middle of them and that's where you need to shoot sometimes you got to wait for a little bit better angle if if depending on what you're using and if there's something else in the way let's see tips for and then tips for field dressing and butchering um like anything and the biggest thing is to get the get the hide off as quick as you can and uh and keep everything clean now especially if it's not if it's not hot or it's it's you know, yeah. If it's not hot, um, and you are in a spot where you can get the bear home in, a, in you know, two or three hours, it, it's not a bad idea. Just to to you can even I mean the past couple of years I've brought bears home whole to weigh them, uh, black bears and then just scun them first thing in the morning. You know, if you're if you're if it's seventy degrees, you're not going to want to do that. But uh, so use your you know use your best judgment. But even if you got to yank the guts out and bring it to get get the bear started to cool and bring it and skin it at home that's not a bad idea the biggest thing you know whether it's the hide or the meat is just keeping it clean keep dirt and moss and lichen and all that crap off of it because it's just going to cause you problems later um, and that's for the hide of uh, the hide and and the meat you know a lot of you know i've see I see every once in a while pictures of someone with a bear hide laid out skinned down on a sandbar and i just think man they're not paying whoever's fleshing that bear <laughs> enough Um, is the more, obviously the more, the more sand and dirt you get on the hide, the tougher it's going to be to flesh. And that also promotes, that's introducing more bacteria too. So, you know, especially if you're, you're backpack hunting for bears or something like that, something where, where you can't, you can't get that thing properly fleshed and salted, salted very quickly. Um, you're just speeding up the decomposition by getting, letting, letting dirt and other crap get on there. Then uh how much time does it take to correct, correctly flesh a hide and when is salting a hide necessary? Um I think that we're talking about bears there too. Uh that it really depends, you know. I've done a ton of them so I can do you know with turning I can do a, do an average size black bear turning lip skinning paws um, fleshing and getting on the salt in a few hours. Um it's not a terrible. I think it's actually, I think putting up a wolf, you know, trapper, dry, air drying a wolf on a stretcher, um, that process is more of a pain in the ass than doing a, a black bear. But uh, it's really just going to vary depending on the bear, um, the bear time of year, how thick's the skin. Um, once you get into late, late spring season, the bears, uh, black bears and grizzlies, their their flesh gets kind of slimy as opposed to like a nice fat fall bear that hides primed up you know that has a nice layer of fat that you can just just shave off like butter um spring bears get kind of slimy and tough to flesh. you almost can't get them perfectly clean um in my experience with with the later spring bears but yeah i mean each one's a little different it takes a while i would say you can air dry you can air dry bear hides um by tacking them out and stuff, but uh, if you're wanting to rug any kind of taxidermy, you you have to salt them. Um, it's just the only way to go and to guarantee you're you're preserving, you know, the the lips and the nose and the, you know the skin on the ears, stuff like that. And if you're going to air dry them, you have to be absolutely like absolutely meticulous on getting getting the flesh off there and uh, and all that stuff, and really, you know, I think you, you know you basically have to tack them out on. You know plywood or or whatever you know giant board you have or just make a stretch hoop or something and then babysit them. It's going to be a pain in the ass. So just plan on salting them. But you don't want to salt hides if you can't flesh them properly either. That's going to cause you even more problems if you have if you have a layer of fat or or it you know it, sometimes it doesn't even look like fat. It just looks like a little membrane you know a little bit of meaty membrane, but it, it's thicker than you think. And sometimes you know the salt can't penetrate that to to uh, preserve the skin and help dry the skin so you get slippage. Let's see. Uh, and these questions, some, some of these questions are kind of all over the board. So you'll get a, we'll get a random one in there. I just, I just wrote them down as they came um, basically. So uh, thoughts on Rocky Mountain Goat Alliance as an NGO worth supporting. I don't really follow uh, Goat Alliance. Uh, so I'm not really, I'm not really a good one to answer that. I know, I imagine they would be better. Than, they would be better than uh, than than some other uh, backcountry um, fishing and hunting organ, so-called organizations, um, as far as, as what their what their money goes to. I don't know anything you're wanting to support. Just I don't know if they give you the willies support something else um you know there there's even some like i i think i think the sheep foundation does a great job with a lot of stuff but i kind of have my beefs with some of the things they do or have done up here and uh, you know you know it's it's a very individual thing but you know i don't as far as the goat alliance and or or organizations that uh you know, are, aren't worth supporting. That's, uh, you know, that's going to be your own, your own shtick to decide. Um, so I'll just leave that at that. (laughs) Um, bear meat, bear meat recipes. Um, I'm not a huge bear connoisseur. Um, so I mean, I don't have a lot of recipes. Uh, what I'm, I'm planning on doing on all my black bears this year is just making, smoking those hunter sausage sticks. Those things are damn good. I made like 90 pounds of them last year and they're all gone so i need to get i need to get more bears this year and and get them on the smoker and you know even with that stuff some people have their own you know pet recipes stuff like that i just used i just used the kits and they turned out fantastic it's uh it's less bs for me to deal with um i don't know if they're the high mountain ones or i can't remember i think they might be the high mountain hunter stick uh snack stick kits but they they turned out really well Um, so, you know, if you really want to dive in the woods, you can, you know, look up a bunch of people's pet sausage recipes and that'd be nice. Uh, one thing I did, I did cook some of it up last year on, I've got a camp chef pellet grill. And, uh, what I did when I was taking the bear apart, um, kind of make like, like a rack of tomahawk steaks, almost like basically just the backpack, the back strap attached to, attached to the top half of the ribs. And, uh, I just seared that you know the i just season season it with whatever you want, but the biggest thing is, is to kind of sear that on on all sides and then and then um turn that thing to like one seventy five or two hundred degrees two twenty you know put a temperature probe in it and make sure make sure that bear meat hits so I think it's the one sixty but i'm i'm a I'm a fan of going to like one seventy 170, one seventy five just to make sure everything's thoroughly cooked, and I don't need to get into the trick so um that stuff it's searing it and then cooking it like that it was like the best it was the best bear meat i've ever had it was delicious and then just slice it up like tomahawk steaks with a rib attached and uh it was plenty tender plenty uh plenty juicy it was it was cooked very safely but what wasn't overcooked let's see measure measure eyeball water for the mountain house um I don't know. I think my, my stove can has, has a little measuring thing. So I actually do. I actually do measure it. There's some meals and I can't think off the top of my head that I add a little bit of extra water or, or don't add as much kind of, that's just something you develop on your own taste. I don't think it matters that much as long as you're, you're close. But if you're, if you're having a pack water, you know, a thousand feet up the mountain or, pack water a mile for, you know, you're camping a mile from where you can get new water. Yeah, I would, I would err on the side of caution. And a lot of times I'll put like, you know, a quarter cup or half a cup less than it calls for. Um, if I don't, if I'm not in a huge excitement to go pack water and it seems to work out pretty well. And that's with, that's with the freeze dried stuff, you know, I don't know if the dehydrated stuff is any more uh, particular. Most of the, the dehydrated meals I tried, I didn't, didn't really suit my taste very well um so mostly i just use freeze-dried all right what is the best moose caliber um that could be a whole nother podcast to come to the conclusion that there isn't one um (laughs) like i said that's just depend depends on on who you ask and there's there's valid arguments for a lot of different stuff you know I like think Frank Glasser said his favorite moose caliber, or he his two twenty swift killed moose faster than any other rifle he'd ever shot. You know, and that's he was pretty partial to that. And that was back in the day when they had shit bullets, and and you know you didn't know what was going to happen when you pulled the trigger half the time. Um, it just depends on how the way you want to look at it. You know, if if you want if you're an all around rifle guy, I mean obviously you know best moose caliber you know, you're, you you could take that as meaning like, all right, I'm going to be, you know, have my ideal caliber for each, for each animal. Um, I don't, there's not really an answer, you know, I mean, you could use as big as you want, you know, you could argue, oh, well, the, the caliber that flattens them on the spot every time. And, you know, even, I don't know, there's, there's so many factors that go into that. Um, I think if you're, you know, even, I mean, even like Six five, any of the six fives Creedmore, or I mean, six millimeter Creedmore. I mean, so many moose. I'd, I'd wager, I'd wager a ton of moose every year are still killed with a two forty three or a thirty thirty, um, and you know, out in the bush a lot. A lot of folks use two twenty threes. You know, I mean, you, it's not probably not going to be quite as pretty as pretty as, as just tipping one over with it with a three seventy five. But uh, um. I don't know. All things considered, if I had to pick one, I would probably either a thirty out six or a three hundred wind mag, probably. Maybe a three thirty-eight. I don't know. A three thirty eight, I think, is a little heavy is definitely heavier than you need. Um, but you know, it would be be nice to have for bears, but a three hundred wind mag is quite a bit of gun too, especially if you're using heavy bullets. So something like that. I mean, it's 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 kind of anticlimactic. Answer because there really is no answer and it's going to vary very big time um i've shot them with six i've shot a couple with six fives uh 25 out six 30 out six 300 win mag um last year shot one with the three thirty eight lapua which uh um uh, was my father-in-law's rifle and uh i think that's five moose who've killed with that rifle now um and i loaded which kind of you know rabbit trail here um, I loaded, uh, the Hornady 285 grain ELD matches, which the match bullets, you know, they're made for matches, not, not hunting, but sometimes you get good crossover bullets and out of, I think we've killed a five for five on moose with that rifle with those. And the bullets we have recovered that haven't passed through have all been like really nice, well weight retain, retained, uh, mushrooms. So, um, if you're shooting a 3.38 Lapua, that's not a bad, not a bad moose hunting bullet. Um, Alright, what are some good starter guns and bows for kids? Um I you know, I do have a couple of kids and I, I I don't I don't know that I'm the most experienced one on all of it, but what I did for my son last year when he was three, um mostly because I couldn't help myself, I bought him one of those little savage rascal single shot, you know, cricket type twenty twos and uh and they're the biggest thing is that they're sized appropriately or fairly appropriately for little kids. Um, and you know, that, that's up to each parent to determine when and when and what their, their child's ready for, obviously. But what I did is I got that and I bought the cheapest, biggest red dot I could find and, uh, clamped it on there. It's, it's, it's a little awkward looking, but my thinking, you know, a three-year-old, four-year-old, like he's not, he's not ready to he's not ready to use iron sights, rated peep sights. And some will argue, though, well, you should use it. You got to learn how to do it the right way first. And well, I mean, I would just want my kid to have fun and be able to hit what he's aiming at. So, uh, you know, if, so then it goes back to who, who the heck made that rule, you know? So uh, I put that red dot on there and I set up my tripod and I would, uh, you know, we tried with pop cans and, and I'd, set the rifle on the tripod and point it to where I knew when he got on the rifle, you know, he'd be able to see the pop can through the, through the scope and, and just have him. All right, well, I'll hold the, I'll kind of hold the rifle steady and you, you move the red dot onto what you want to shoot. And, uh, then we do it, you know, very, very step-by-step. Step. All right. You know, do you see the target? Do you see the dot? All right. Move the dot, dot onto the target. All right. Is it on the target? Yep. And then, all right, now you can start to squeeze the trigger if you're ready. And, you know, just, it is whatever your, well, my opinion's worth, you know, if you're, you're introducing anybody to shooting, just safety is obviously the biggest factor and, and, uh, and doing a very regimented step-by-step thing seems, seems to help people learn that way. And especially with kids, you know, you do do it the same way every time they know what to expect, they know how to be safe. Um, and you're supervising them very extremely closely, obviously, um, so I don't know that's a good starter gun uh, I think a good starter gun for kids um bow, as far as bows I don't really keep too much tabs on too too tabs too good on that but uh you know, my, my you know maybe like when they're real little it depends on when you want to start them and if they're interested in the stuff you know my daughter wanted to shoot bows too so I got her just a toy bow and it sling, you know, slings arrows a little bit. And my son, I think I got him, we got him, I think from maybe three rivers archery. I think they have some, some little kids, you know, recurves and longbows. Um, but there, you know, there's your typical, like there's a few different varieties of compounds and stuff like that. Um, it just depends on how big your kid is, what they're interested in. You know, if you shoot a compound, they're probably going to want to shoot a compound. If you shoot a recurve or longbow, that's probably what they're going to want to, want to shoot. Um, So, so yeah, I mean, I guess that's a a long way to ramble about not, not much with that. All right. Next question. What is your goal weight for a sheep rifle is eight and a half pounds too heavy. Um, I don't really have a goal set in mind for, for my sheep rifle. They've always kind of been what they've been. Um, man, I, I mean, it's just probably because I, I started toting, you know, heavier factory rifles and that's all i really used until recent years you know i've I've only i've had i've had one custom sheep rifle for a few years now and i can't remember what that thing weighs um i'd say eight and a half pounds is not too heavy you know any any rifle you're willing to carry up a mountains mountains a mountain rifle and uh that's probably that's probably about what uh the first rifle I took sheep hunting was as the first rifle I saved up and bought when I was a teenager it was a Remington model 710, just a God awful action. Um, freaking clunker. But the thing shot, it shot, it always shot really well. And I killed a lot of stuff with it, but that and the, and the scope on it, you know, I bet that was an eight, eight, eight and a half pound range. Um, it just depends on how tough you are, I guess. Um, but I wouldn't say, you know, I wouldn't say you need to go take out a loan to buy a lighter rifle if that's all you got. And I wouldn't let, I wouldn't let the, you know, not being able to get a lighter rifle um, prevent you from going hunting. That's the, that's the biggest goal. You know, some of these things where you may not be able to afford to get the best or lightest, um, you know, you may have to work a little harder. It may be a little more uncomfortable, but don't let it stop you from going. Um, On the other end of it. Uh, it is nice to have a sheep rifle and then light, light sheep rifles are expensive. Um, I think the one, the one Steve Hollenbeck built for me was, I said, I can't remember how much it weighed, but it was, it's significantly less than the 25 out six I was, I'd been using, which was basically a factory gun with, uh, um, and eventually I had him put a, uh, put a, um, I think it was a Bell and Carlson stock on there. It lightened it up a little bit, but not too much. Um, and I just, this spring got a hold of a one of the weatherby backcountry ti's the titanium action ultralight weatherby's and that thing is a freaking cool rifle there um i actually did i did weigh that they are 4.9 the titanium action ones are 4.9 pounds i think the steel action ones are just like 5.1 or 5 pound 1 ounce something like that it's just a couple just a few ounces heavier and uh with a, a VX three I um three and a half to ten by forty millimeter scope, which is a little bit bigger scope than I like to use, but I think these three eyes, I think they're only a couple ounces heavier than the uh what is it, the uh two and a half to eight by thirty-sixes. Um with that scope, tally one piece rings and four rounds of ammunition, the thing weighs six pounds, four ounces, I think it was. Um, or six, six pounds, five ounces, uh, which, which sounds like a lot, but it's lighter than a lot of factory rifles with nothing on them. I mean, it's, it's, it's a real lightweight rifle and it's pretty slick, but they, you know, they are expensive too. So like I said, don't, don't feel like you need to go take out a loan to get a rifle that's, uh, that's super ultra light. You know, most people, if you have a good hunting rifle, you trust and shoot well, just take that. Let's see, best broadheads for moose hunting with a recurve. Um, I'd say there's quite a few good ones out there. Um, I've seen them shot, my dad shot. I've seen my dad shoot one with a Zwicky that was obviously, you know, if it's sharpened well and they're super cheap broadheads but and do not come sharp. But if you can put a razor edge on them, um, those work fine. The biggest key is you just want... I'd say a two or three blade, cut on contact, solid broadhead. Um, I, you know, guys will use mechanicals and guys get away with using mechanicals, but I would not use them. I would not recommend them. Um, I've killed another, another good that's, that's an an affordable broadhead is those Magnus Stingers. Um, I shot, just zip an arrow all the way through one with a like a fifty five pound recurve um with magnus stingers, hundred twenty-five grainers and, and that worked just fine. Um there and the nice thing those those broadheads they're they're affordable and they do have a lifetime warranty, I believe. So if you break one or or otherwise you can send them back and get them replaced. Um and they, they tend to fly good if you have a good tune too. Uh, and I also used, uh, the Grizzly single bevel, the glue on single bevels for a lot of years. I, I killed a moose with those too. And, uh, those are, they're a great broadhead, especially, um, the last batches I, the first, you know, when I first started ordering them, I'd have to throw away like one out of every box because they he'd have like spot weld holes or just QC stuff. But, uh, but a few years ago, they really like got a handle on their QC and, uh, and the broadheads were, were turning out a lot better. Um, those are another one that you need to know how to sharpen them but but even out of the out of the box with a strop i can get them shaven you know no like stone or anything like that so they're a good option and they're pretty affordable um right now i'm shooting the cutthroat broadheads uh, from rms gear and they're like basically just a nicer more consistent um a little bit tougher grizzly they're a single bevel the angles depending on the the whether it's a glue on screw in and the weight, um, the angle is a little different. It's a little steeper angle on the cut throats, but it doesn't seem to make much difference in penetration, at least on bears and stuff. I haven't shot a moose with those yet. Um, but yeah, yeah, I, you know, I would, I would go with, with a two blade or three blade cut on contact broadhead that's razor sharp, you know, and look for something tough. Moose aren't especially hard, especially if you, uh, you just wait for a good broadside shot, you know, like they're heavier skinned and boned than, than a bear is, but I mean, you can, you can zip all the way through one without much, too much trouble if, as long as you have a good, a good broadhead and a, and a decently weighted arrow. Um, all right. Have you hunted, have you hunted doll sheep in the Alaska range or all brooks? Um, I actually haven't hunted in the brooks in several years, um but i have killed some in the alaska range yeah it's uh i don't know what what like a follow up to that would be um the alaska range is uh overall a little bit more difficult country to travel around in a lot of the brooks range yet you, know, you know those big wide valleys that they've got a lot of steep country too but um not typically not as much alders and stuff like that and that just will also vary from place to place um, but yes, I have I have I have killed a couple of rams in the Alaska range. Let's see next one. Did you notice all the asshats lose their mind when we lost bear season for 24 hours? Um, it's an interesting one. I uh, it was like the worst. I don't know. That was like the worst April. Well, in one one hand, it could be argued as like the best April Fool's day joke that the government played on Alaskans, but uh, no one was laughing. I mean, I don't know when I. Of course, immediately when the governor announced that all or that like black and brown bear seasons were closed, it was kind of pretty confusing for everybody because, uh, you know, it sounded like he misspoke. He and I didn't catch, I wasn't watching the whole address, but I saw that portion of it. And, you know, he's talking about Kodiak and which of the seasons that would be open right now, Um, all the non residents coming in. And of course, we're talking about the, the, coronavirus lockdown um that they've got us under and he's talking about protecting you know, okia which is understandable some of these remote communities that they don't have the resources to to fight you know a big outbreak keeping you know people that might be carrying it from the lower 48 or wherever out like that's what he's talking about and then like at the tail end kind of tails he's like trailing says, you know brown bear and black bear seasons are canceled and I think everyone was just kind of sitting there, left scratching their head, saying what? And then, of course, fishing game has to respond with an emergency order and said that all all bear seasons were closed until May thirty first, which um, really kicked the hornet, hornet's nest there. And I de- I wouldn't say I, you know I wouldn't say people that that lost their shit over it. I would, I would definitely wouldn't call them asshats. Um, I was pretty upset about. It. There's a lot of us that like like there's no the biggest it is, it isn't um complying with mandates because they they help the virus i mean like most of us residents anyway can go hunting without ever having to do anything that's you know it's like you know saying we're not we're going to be less safe you know out, out in the woods by ourselves spending all this time out there and there are some factors like community travel and stuff like that like you gotta you know but the vast vast majority of hunters, I think, can still go out and do their thing, even if they've got to drive through another town without doing anything that they're they're not already doing. you know we can go basically do whatever we want in town, we can go to the stores, go to the businesses that are open, you can go stand in line at Costco, but you can't go out in the woods i mean it is it was it was pretty ridiculous and not very well thought out i don't I don't think um so I mean, everyone everyone flipped shit about it. Obviously, I mean, I I sent emails to the governor and the director's fishing game, um, and the response is pretty overwhelming. You know, I heard numbers thrown around like they got. Like the director fishing game had like seven to 10,000 emails in like 12 hours, something like that. It was enough of a response where 24 hours later they backed it off and, and, you know, said residents, residents can, can go hunt. Um, and they're still ironing out some details, I think, as far as, you know, draw tags and if, uh, you know, residents that have Kodiak tags, et cetera, you know, can you travel and whatnot? Um, so no, I don't think it was ridiculous that everybody, that everyone kind of got upset about that. I mean, it's been a freaking long winter and, and if people like hunting spring bears as much as I do and, uh, and there's, they're not going to be doing anything that's going to spread or help them or let them contract this virus. I don't think there's any reason, uh, any reason to, to prevent people from doing that. And they did mention, uh, like, oh, that subsistence activity, you know, like that, that, that wouldn't be closed, but that's kind of convoluted, you know, the, the difference between what is actually subsistence, you know, it depends on whether you're talking federal or state or what any of that looks like. So I'm glad they did clear that up because a lot of, you know, in some, under some definitions, every resident of the state of Alaska is, is a subsistence user, um, you know, like if I live in the borough, I can't subsistence hunt Fairbanks borough. I can't subsistence hunt um, ducks and geese in the spring, but I can do other subsistence hunts. Um, but most of, most of that subsistence is fulfilled by the, uh, by the general state hunting seasons. Um, so it's not necessary to really dive into the weeds like that, but I know I was willing, I was, I'm, I'm hoping to put three or four, you know, depending on where I'm hunting or, you know, who I'm hunting with, they don't want me. And I'm hoping to put at least three black bears in the freezer for myself. And, uh, you know, in a time like this, especially going back to considering that the activity itself is not really increasing any danger of spreading, spreading disease. Um, you know, now you're telling people you're cutting off their access potentially to, to food they may be dependent on, or being a little bit more of a, more interested in getting at this point. And, uh, so no, and I think I think if I don't think it was an overreaction from us at all. I think uh, I think if if people hadn't said anything, they wouldn't have changed it. You know, and you know, there's it's debatable whether whether Dunleavy misspoke or 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 that was was his intention. Um, I think that I've heard that they're not backing down. You know, whether it's a matter of pride or whatever, like they're saying that that was the intention. Um, but you know, I mean, unless people get riled up about stuff like they're, 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 they would have no, they would have had no reason to, uh, to allow, you know, to open it back up for us. So it's kind of, I think it's interesting that that's where we draw the line, but, uh, but, uh, have drawn the line now, but it definitely, definitely people's voices were heard on that. And, uh, and I'm glad they did the right thing. Anyway, um, <coughs> excuse me, is doll sheep with the re, I don't have the Corona. It's just all this talking, talking to myself in my office. That's uh make my throat a little scratchy is, uh, let's see, doll sheep with the re still the goal for 2020. Um, I don't know yet. Um, partly because I haven't decided where, or what I'm going to do, um, what I think, I think Dr. Schultz and I are going to hunt together this, this fall. And what we'll probably do is I'll probably bring the recur. I'll probably bring my bow and, uh, and he'll pack this new weather bee. That's probably what the plan's going to be. Um, and we, you know, so we'll see. I'm not like, I'm not as, uh, I don't know. I don't know why I'm not as like dead nuts on it as I was last year, but I'm going to be shooting and like preparing for that is my plan so uh it, you'll just see how how stuff shakes out you know but if if i take my bow like i'm sure it's gonna do you know do everything i can to, to get get him with the bow um and frank will let me have the rifle till till it's like the last night anyway so <laughs> um all right what's your plan weapon plan for spring bear um muzzle loader grizzly recurve black bear um that pretty much pretty much hits it on the head i uh you know got it stuck in my head, oh you, know, you get get a grizzly with the stone point well, and then these you know built this muzzle loader kit, and I am gonna try and shoot my grizzly with that this spring um I'm a little conflicted, I really like shooting them with bows <coughs> and it was gonna be nice to uh and it was gonna be nice to to switch back to a, a little bit more modern technology and shoot one but uh but I, it would be cool to shoot one with a muzzle loader, So I'm going to try and do that. And, uh, my plan is to hunt black bears with the recurve and depending on how hot the action is. And, uh, and if we go, you know, go hunt some other units where the limits a little higher, I may, I may shoot a black bear with it too. We'll see. Let's see. What's your tripod setup? Have you tried the, uh, optics adapter from Spartan precision? I haven't tried that one. Um, the tripod I've been using the last couple of years is a loophole, like, well, it's marketed by, I don't know who makes it, but it's been marketed by loophole, uh, carbon fiber tripod. Um, it's a fairly user-friendly one. Uh, it's kind of medium, middle of the road, uh, as far as weight goes. It's not ultra light, but it's not very heavy, and uh, it's pretty user-friendly, and it's pretty stable, um, so I've been using that the, the past couple of years. Um, before that a little bit bulkier heavier swarovski carbon fiber one and uh i haven't got a hold i haven't got a hold of one of the, the spartan tripods yet um and i'm i'm excited to try that out what i did get a hold of um is a uh, is a, a tripod adapter and and a leg set from i think it's red mountain gear down in uh, wasilla i think um guy that's a machinist makes these uh these basically Adapter. I don't know whether you call them adapter or like a tripod. Like it's not the head, but you can put a tripod head on them. But basically, you can make a tripod out of trekking poles or or narrow aluminum poles. Um, they're pretty versatile. It's gonna. It's and obviously they're extremely lightweight. You know, way way lighter weight than than one of the heavy tripods. Um, you can put a hook on them for for hanging weight to to help the stability you know, tripods are one of those things that you can get like, you know, out of like cheap, stable and lightweight. You can pick two of them or affordable, stable and lightweight. You can pick two of those things. You know, you can't have everything. So with, you know, I think for the ultimate, like ultra, I think these things are going to be pretty slick for the ultimate, like ultra light tripod option, but you are, you're going to be giving up a little bit of stability and, uh, ease of use. Cause it's just going to take a few more steps to, to set them up. But man, for like, and, and I'm, I'm excited to, to, to check it out this summer. And, and, and that may be what I take sheep hunting this year that has yet to be decided, but it's a super cool, it's a super cool idea and option. Um, especially if you're the type of guy, like you just, you don't want to take a tripod. So you, you know, sling the, the spot and scope over your back, man, we'll get, get one of these. Cause they're, they're just super, super light. Um, and, and they're going to be a hell of a lot more stable than, than no tripod at all or, or a really cheap junky tripod. Like I, I think they'll, I think especially if you, you practice, it'll take a little bit of, a little bit of use to get used to using them and, and setting them up, taking them down and, you know, figuring out your preferences, um, get those details ironed out. I'm sure they would work just fine and, and they're lighter than any other tripod you're going to get. Um, what can a guy from the lower 48 expect to pay for a DIY moose hunt or even drop camp ballpark? Um, well, you're going to have, you're going to have, I can't remember what non-res tags are. You're going to have a good thousand bucks tied up in just tags and hunting license. And then, uh, you know, your, your flights up here, you know, another five to $800, probably so you're in it you know roughly and even just you know a minimal amount of gear you're going to be already into it for a two grand um but realistically you know your food for 300 bucks you know so 2300 and it just a lot of that depends on the gear you already have and the gear you're going to need um and that's not even getting into transport to the field so you know at the you know, maybe at the cheapest you're gonna be, you know, rent a truck or borrow a rig or something, you know, you know, you're in the three ish grand range. Um if you fly out and charter services very dr- dramatically, but uh I would expect to be paying eh, probably four to ten thousand dollars for for an air charter depending on where it's at. And I say that I'm not like I don't have my finger on the pulse of the air charter um, the air chartered business, you know, and, and what's going on with that. But I would, I, you know, I know some, some guys will pay, you know, up to 10,000 bucks or so, depending on where they're going, how much gear they're bringing, what planes they're flying, how, you know, how many people who's coming, it's going to vary quite a bit, but it will not be cheap. Um, and then, uh, you're also looking at transport, you know, dealing with and transporting meat, you know and your antlers even if you're flying home with your antlers you still got to go to home depot and buy you know buy some cardboard and a garden hose and visqueen and shit to wrap it you know package it up you know all those things you know you can really get nickeled and dimed if you're not if you're not don't have everything thought you know you go through the you gotta in your planning you gotta go through the entire process you know not just get there and we're gonna go to the store and get some supplies and go out to the field and and then we're done but you got to think all that through ahead of time, you know, what am I going to need on the back end? How, you know, what's my plan for dealing with and or shipping meat? Um, What am I going to do with my cape, my antlers, Um, and account for all those various costs and, and, you know, maybe not hidden costs, but just costs and stuff like that that people don't really, really iron out. I mean, I would say, you know, to be safe, you know, I'd say you're probably going to spend... At least three to four, maybe five grand, um, if you're if you're coming up and you renting or, or borrowing a vehicle, stuff like that. Um, by the time it's all said and done, you got the process, you know, and and it, and it can vary depending on how much help you have up here. But if you're just doing it all on your own, you know, and you don't you don't have kind of a resource up here that you can keep your meat in the freezer or butcher your meat in their garage or something like that, you know, it's going to get expensive and you need to be prepared for that. Um, the next one's biggest mistakes, non-resident hunters make when coming to Alaska for the first time. I think that, I think that's probably, um, what I was just talking about is not really thinking through or understanding all of the, the, the nuances and and costs that the, you know all the things it's going to take you to deal with, you know, a, a person coming up here, moose hunting on a DIY moose hunt for the first time, may not really actually have a concept of how much meat and meat and bone you're freaking having to having to pack back to the airstrip or 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 deal with once you get back into town. You know, I mean, I've had calls from you know the last uh, a couple guys a few years ago called. Got my number from somebody, um, their, their their flight was in like three hours and they didn't have anyone to deal with their moose capes that were thawed out, you know, had never been frozen and, you know, a moose cape, you know, prepping a moose cape's a day of work, a whole day of work for me and you know, I, I didn't have time to, to help them out so I just kind of had to say sorry and ship, send them on their way but you don't want to be that guy sitting at the airport on the airport curb with a pile of meat, you know, there was another another time when I was gonna um prep some prep a couple I'd arranged to prep capes and and ship antlers for for some guys that were on a DIY caribou hunt and uh, you know I got a, and I didn't know exactly when they were getting back into town but I got a call early in the morning and we're here at Sun so you know our flights in a few hours can you come you know come get these they, Yeah, hey I'll come get them while i show up and they had four caribou bulls worth of meat that they didn't know what to do with you know didn't have a plan for it um they could they kept it clean and stuff unfortunately i had the freezer space i was able to take it all and kind of distribute it from there but uh you got to think about that stuff you know you got to have a plan and a backup plan and probably a plan c too <laughs> let's see how much beer do you pack in while sheep hunting 24 not <laughs> just kidding um no i don't i don't pack any beer in um if I, you know, the times I fly it in, I'll sometimes leave some at the airstrip or uh, leave a couple, at, leave a couple at the four wheeler if I'm if I'm really feeling like it. But uh, yeah, I de- definitely definitely go without that comfort. Let's see next one. When should people start heading back to hunt the Brooks? Uh never. Brooks has always sucked. It's going to suck forever. So don't even think about it. <laughs> um, actually, uh, you know. I don't th- I'm not the authority. I don't think there's a hard and fast, you know. There's people that never stopped killing sheep in the brooks even after they had, you know, back that 2013, 2014, um, had that rough winter um, and a lot of winter kill. <clears throat> I mean, there's, you know, it did definitely put a hurting on some of them, but, uh, you know, I was up there after that, or the year after that, and it was, it was kind of slim pickings. It was definitely not what it had been before, but... You know, still didn't have any trouble finding rams. And there's people that, there's quite a few people that never did stop hunting the brooks and they, and they still do fine. Um, I don't know. The biggest, some of that stuff, it's a little irritating. And I, I guess if everyone was, was super effective, you know, the, then the opportunities we have wouldn't be quite the same as they are. But, uh, you know, I, I just kind of take it with a grain of salt, you know, anyone saying that you know all they're you know all the sheep have killed in there now there's they may take a hit but there's still some left so you know i'd say if you want to hunt the brooks go hunt the brooks this year <laughs> you know i mean i don't i don't there i don't know what everyone's line is or what ex- expectations have to be reasonable too because even when stuff's good you're not necessarily you know you're not seeing 20 legal rams a day type of thing you know it's it's it it does make it easier and a little bit more enjoyable maybe to have high booming populations of sheep. But if you're waiting on uh, if you're waiting on a booming population, you know, or, or excess trophy opportunity to go on a hunt, then you know, I don't know. I just look at the perspective of why not just go now. If you want to go hunt up there, go hunt up there, and you'll probably probably do fine. All right, now that you've aired your rain gear debacle, and I have multiple times, um, what's your choice for backcountry rain gear? Uh, my choice is uh, is right the is, uh, Grundon's Neptune is what it's called. Um, it's very similar to Heli Hansen Improtec, and I like that stuff too, and it's a similar price. I just, the fit of the Grundon's Neptune stuff... Um, works a little it fits me a little better so that i mean that's as simple as that um it's good rain gear it's not breathable um and as you know kind of talked before so you know some of these like a little bit more technical type companies really i think should make they got to be able to find a way to make a little bit better fitting more comfortable non-breathable rain gear you know you're you still may You're still going to sweat your butt off if you're hiking in it, but it will not fail you, you know. And you know, I keep circling back around. It's just like for for me. Um, if I can't depend on it to hold out water in the worst conditions, it's it's garbage. It's not. It's not even worth putting in my backpack. So, um, you know, those are. Though, and I don't know. I should I should do a little bit more research to find other like non breathable stuff. But as a balance of weight weight and, uh, and functionality, you know, that, the Impertec or, or the Grunin's Neptune stuff <clears throat> is definitely my choice. All right. What is the base weight of your pack for a sheep hunt? Not including food and water. Um, I don't know if I've ever weighed it, not including food. A lot of times, you know, I won't put water in there right away, but yeah, the food is, the food's a pretty critical thing. So I, you know, I, 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 I guess it's always just when I weigh my pack, it's when it's basically ready to go. Maybe I have to add water or a rifle, but, um, uh, uh the past couple of years I've been getting it with, with food, um, in the, uh, yeah, like between 53 and 57 pounds or so. And that's what, with, that's without water, but with food. All right. What is the base weight of your pack? No, I just read that one. Losing my mind. Um, If you can hunt with one caliber for the rest of your hunting career, what would it be? That's a pretty tough one. I mean, obviously, like thinking big game. Um, Probably a 300 Win Mag. I mean, ammunition's everywhere, you know, wide variety of bullets. Um, You know, it'd be either either a 30 out 6 or a 300 Win Mag. you know, I like the smaller cartridges for a lot of stuff. You know, the you know smaller bore stuff like 25 out six is a fantastic rifle. Killed moose with that, no problem. Um, the various six fives, like I think this, like is the Weatherby I have that I was talking about earlier, is in that six five Weatherby RPM, and it's a freaking hot. Uh, it's not. It's not as hot like as the six five three hundred, but um, you know, with a hundred forty grain bullet, it's like thirty thirty one hundred roughly. And it, it's cooking. Um, and it's gonna be. It's gonna be a really nice cartridge too. But for all around, rant, you know, probably a thirty out six or three hundred Win Mag. I would have, you know, I I would probably shoot. I would shoot a brown bear with a three hundred eight or, or whatever too. But I don't know. Just you know, with a little bit of extra. I mean, that three hundred. I, I would have zero hesitation shoot hunting the biggest brown bearer on this planet with a three hundred wind mag um with with good bullets just would not have any hesitation, yeah, it's lighter than the three seventy five but I don't want to be freaking shooting sheep with a three seventy five either you know I think I think that hot hot six or maybe an hot six and uh, six eh, i don't know we're talking um th- all these new factors are popping up like ammunition availability. Um, all around, yeah, just a regular 30 out six or 300 wind mag, you know, you can, there's so many cartridges that, that would be, would be just fine, but all things considered, like that's, that's probably going to be my, uh, my, my go-to maybe a seven mm, but probably a, but, but, but probably a 300. All right. What's your best advice for training for a first sheep hunt? Um, You know, I, I kind of joke about my lack of training and how stupid I think it is sometimes the length people go to and, and that's, I don't think it's stupid that people try to prepare for, for their hunts. Like, don't, don't get me wrong. Um, uh, sometimes it's just taken to a level of silliness, but, uh, um, especially for your first sheep hunt, um, you don't, you kind of, because believe me, I know what it's like. You, You don't really know what you're getting into, um. I would prepare as much as you can because it's you know that 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 that's going to help you mentally you know stay in the game because when you haven't done it before you don't you don't have a gauge for how bad it's going to get <laughs> you know it's uh whereas now you know I've done it enough that I can like I just know that it's going to suck and but you don't really know till you've done it so um, the best thing you could do man if you, if you have some hills. Even if you don't have hills, just put on a heavy backpack, you know, and if you got to work your way up and I wouldn't spend a ton of time with like 70, 80 pound backpack, but, but some you need to, your body needs to learn what it feels like to walk a long ways with, with a fairly heavy backpack and what it's like carrying that weight. I'd say more so than any specific exercises is just getting used to carrying that backpack. Let's see, uh, have you met, spoken to Rosie Roseland, and are there plans to get him on the podcast? I have not, and currently there aren't, but I know there's a shitload of people up here that have a lot of great experience and have cool stories, so I definitely am not opposed to learning more. I might have to look into that. Um, any chatter about non-residents extending, non-resident restrictions extending to fall seasons? I mean, I'm sure there's freaking chatter about everything, but... Uh, I haven't heard anything that's valid. I mean, shit, like, we're already, like, you know, as of yesterday, there hadn't even been, like, there hadn't been any new cases of the disease in, like, six days in Fairbanks, you know. Uh, At this point, like, I don't know. It's all speculation. I mean, I don't know. They could have all the restrictions taken off off by, you know, the end of May. I I have no idea. Or they, you know, who knows what they're going to. Try to leave us with you know when this is all when and who knows if the if it's as dangerous a situation to go I don't, I don't know that's a long way I I probably should, shouldn't open up my mouth about it but just saying I don't know I haven't heard anything valid and I don't think anyone I don't think the governor anyone knows what they're gonna do um as far as that far out um just you know hope obviously everyone hopes that that stuff will get back to normal as quick as possible because you know not only you know, people, people missing out on their hunts or not be able to come on their hunts, but the outfitters that are making their, depending on that for their living, uh, you know, are, are hurt going to be hurting pretty bad right now too. So we want it back to normal. Um, let's see, going on a sheep hunt, carrying, carry a 10 pound long range, quote unquote, long range gun, or a seven and three quarter pound, 300 yard gun. Um, I don't think that's even a, I mean, yeah, I, if you want to carry a 10 pound long range gun, go for it. But, uh, I'd, I'd, I would always take the lighter 300 yard gun. Um, nine, you know, almost all the time. If you're patient, you can get within 300 yards of a Ram. Like it's just a non-issue getting into rifle range. Um, so that light, so that lighter 300 yard gun, you know, and a lot of people like, unless you practice a lot, you shouldn't probably be shooting much farther than 300 yards. Anyway, there's, You know, I, am not the one to draw the line and everyone has to take that individually based on your own experience, um, skill level and 50 different factors at the time of the shot, you know, so that's not my, it's not my place to decide for people, but, uh, but I would take and recommend taking the lighter 300 yard gun every single time, um, I know that sometimes guys can get themselves in trouble packing their long range guns. They may be very skilled long range shooters, um, and maybe not as experienced sheep hunters. But you know, there's been a few sheep spoil on the mountain because guys guys shot them way too far and didn't or couldn't get to them, um, and and that's like you know that that's borderline wanton waste. So it's it's fair. It's it, you know it may not be voluntary but the decisions you make have repercussions and uh and you need to when you're shooting a sheep you need to at least you know have a reasonable degree of certainty that you're going to be able to recover it um so there's that you know that and uh, like freaking there's just i just don't have any reason to carry an overweight gun for long range when you know 90 percent of the time you can get within reasonable rifle range anyway you know i'm not I'm not always shying away from taking long shots, but that's just kind of my thoughts on it. Um, definitely take the lighter one. And what's your opinion on that any Ram tag? And I think uh, they're talking about down some of those two getch areas with any Ram tags. I don't know. I probably don't know enough of it to be like give an educated decision. Um, I think some of the reasoning behind that was that the genetics in some of those areas, rams were never going to grow, you know, or at least I've heard a few different, like, variations on it. But one of them was that a lot of the they're pretty prevalent genetics in which rams were never reaching full curl anyway. Rams that genetically just are configured where they're never going to be full curl. They'll die long before of age. Um, so, you know, so guys that are hunting on the full curl and maybe, and you know, maybe, and this plays into it too. You know, some theories, or or maybe it's experimentation to see th- if it's correct theories that that guys hunting on full curl registration killing out or were having a negative effect, maybe on some of the genetics of some of these tighter curling rams that will that have the genetics to be full curl, leaving a lot of these rams that have the genetics not to be full curl to do a lot of the breeding. I don't know how true that is because I think sheep start breeding when they're three or four, and uh, and by the time a ram's eight, nine, ten years old, he's already been passing his genetics on. In theory, um, I'm not a scientist, but but so I mean, it's just question. It's questions I have, so I don't really know what I think about it. Um, you know, I don't think it should be. I don't. I definitely don't think it should be instituted everywhere. I'm. I'm a fan of like the 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 full curl or eight eight regulation um i think it, it still it does a good job of of restricting the harvest to two rams that are basically already over the hill anyway i mean you know i don't i i notice the mortality goes way up after they're eight years old or it seems like it, it has a couple bumps like it has a big bump when it's you know eight to nine years old it seemed like you find a lot of winter kills that are that old and then maybe if they make it past that they live live a little bit longer but uh yeah i uh i don't know i think maybe and it seems like maybe it is working where it's down there in the chugach where it's at but i definitely would not want to see it any ram like tag opened up as far as a general general thing and i don't think it's we're in danger of that um What's your favorite sheep hunting meal? Uh, that's a tough one. Uh, I lo- I really like that the mountain house um, chicken breast and potatoes. Um, that that one's one of my favorites. Um, that uh, was it. Backcountry pantry has a pad tie that I really like, but you better be freaking hungry when you cook that thing up, because or or split it between two people because it's big. Um. Yeah, I don't know what what my favorite my favorite one is. Uh, got me got me scratching my head. Um, is that I like I like the mac and cheese. Frank hates mac and cheese, but I like the Mountain House mac and cheese. That stuff's good. Um, man lasagna is a hard one like is is like been a solid go-to for years too <laughs> um i don't know so yeah that's my favorite well my you say my favorite sheep hunting meal is fresh sheep backstrap cooked on a fried on a rock and sheep fat that's my favorite but uh you can what i like to do because i i used to take a little pack a little pan and this is another rabbit trail but it's my podcast so i used to pack a little you know packable pan and like cook sheep, you know, fry up little chunks of sheep meat, stri- uh, strips of sheep meat on, on my pan, but the fat, like, sheep's a pretty greasy meat, and that fat is freaking impossible to clean off, like, without, like, hot water and dish soap, and being that I don't want to pack all that extra shit, um, what I found is if you take, you know, you don't want, like, pull them out of the stream, but dry, dry, like, you can find a dry, flat, reasonably thin rock, like, kind of a plate, build you and you have, you're down in, some low country where you can get um, some dead alders or something to burn. Get a little fire going, set a couple rocks on each like in kind of a, I like long rocks that I can set in a V to channel the wind and then set that flat rock over the top. Get that flat rock super hot and then I'll cut off chunks of sheep fat and just melt them on that rock and then slice a um, slice, uh, backstrap or a, uh, chunk of steak or whatever up real thin kind of like that meat it's like sushi restaurants where you cook it on the hot rock it's exactly what it is except you have a fire under the rock and uh that shit is good but you better be uh, after you've been eating the mountain house for for a week or 10 days you better have the old the old tp at the at the ready because that shit will go through you fast or it'll it triggers some sort of some sort of uh digestive reaction um anyway and finally, the last question, uh, what is the most important consideration for the first time DIY backpack sheep hunter? That's a tough one, man. It's always a, t- yeah, yeah. Some of these are when it, when it's like boils down to one, like most important or what's the best. Those are, those are always tough ones for me. Cause then my mind starts exploding with like all the various factors and stuff. Um, probably consideration and then I'm like question what does it mean with consideration probably what I would say is make sure like don't give up which is it sounds stupid but man like after a couple of days of beating you know beating your body up you know it, it like especially if you're not seeing much it gets really discouraging really fast say all right pace yourself. Don't give up. Spend plenty of time on the glass. Like that's the, th- I mean, I'll, I'll say three most important um, considerations or things, tips to give, if you want to call it that. Don't give up. Um, like now I just forgot my three tips. I'm struggling here. Don't give up. Um, spend plenty of time on the glass and uh, pace yourself. Well, you guys, you guys heard it here. So maybe that turned into four. I don't know, but whatever it is, that's the advice I'm going to give. So I'm clearly mentally falling apart at this point. So, uh, I'm going to go go ahead and get, go ahead and get off here, but I really appreciate you listening. I hope everyone's uh, kind of hanging in there during this time. It, it freaking sucks balls, but, uh, but hopefully here pretty soon we'll get back to normal and hopefully you don't have to listen to many more of these, uh, these solo rants for me, or you'll just quit listening on your own. So, um, anyway, hope, yeah, I said, hope everyone's doing all right out there. And, uh, you know, feel free to reach out if you have any questions. Um, uh, my email is podcast at com, and thanks for listening.